So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Outpost of Heaven. <laughs> did you say episode? <laughs> and we're going forward. My name is Andrew Jordan, and this is my beautiful wife, Emily. Hey guys, <laughs> I we, can't talk to you. <laughs> we have a really fun episode. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. I hope it's going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be great. I think it's going to be very informative. Oh yeah, and it's just such a unique topic to us because we have no experience in this. So we have Tammy Hill here, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, specifically sex therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're really happy to have you. We have a lot of questions from parents with teens that we just can't answer. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and one on the way. So yeah. <laughs> we have no experience in this. <laughs> Thank you. So, so welcome, Tammy. <laughs> yes, the welcome. We, so we've had several people or we've had a lot of listeners reach out with specific questions and any answers we would give. Uh, for those questions would all be theoretical. So uh, can you maybe uh, talk a little bit about your background and why you might be in a good place to answer some of these questions? Sure. sure. So my name is Tammy Hill and I am, am a mother. I am a mother to 12 children. And so I've raised a lot of children. I've had a lot of teenagers. Um, my husband, Jeff, and I both lost our first spouses, and we've been blending our family for 15 years now. And our youngest just left the home this semester to go to college. So it's our first time being empty nesters. And oh, it's man. really quite fun, actually. Um, <laughs> oh, 12. You raised 12 teenagers. So how long did you have children in your home? Um. I had children in my home for 36 years and Jeff had children in his home for about 42. Wow. That's a lot of experience. I feel, <laughs> I feel so like little. Very young. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of experience dealing with teenagers. As far as professionally, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mm-hmm. therapist and teach at Brigham Young University in the School of Family Life. I teach classes on marriage and sexuality. Go Cougs. <laughs> so I also, um, I have a podcast called Live Your Why. And a lot of what I try to teach from is if you understand who you are and what you're about and are living aligned with that, you're going to find a lot of peace and satisfaction in life. And so that's a little bit about me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I have really loved and enjoyed um, your content on Instagram. I haven't actually listened to your podcast. This is the first time I'm hearing about it, but, um, but I love reading your posts and your blog too. So um, definitely guys check it out. Yeah. It's great. And Emily is a faithful podcast listener. I know. So I'm like, why well, have I, I as soon as she finds, <laughs> as soon as she gets hooked onto your podcast, I'm sure she will be avidly listening to every single episode. Oh, I'll binge it. Is it so. a weekly podcast? I do do what something every week. And then I usually take about three months off in the summer. So we're on season two right now. I think we're about episode 42 or 43 something. We're good. So that'll take Emily like three days to catch up on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Okay. So we have, like Andrew said, we have uh, quite a few questions and the format of this, I guess, is more of like a rapid fire, I guess. With three to five ish minutes, maybe per question, because we do want to cover each of these questions, but and we don't so, have and hours one of and us hours. that will not be named speaks way too much. So you do. I do. Me. I speak way too much. <laughs> so we need to rapid fire this a little bit, okay. <laughs> or as rapid fire as we'll ever get on this on this podcast. Right. Okay. So Tammy, are you ready? I am. Okay. How do we prepare our teens to face the temptations of the world? Well, I think we can pre-arm them 
um, rather than cocoon them. I think cocooning is nice. We have a nice, safe place for them at home, but we also need to be able to pre-arm them and help them understand challenges and things they're going to see and encounter in life. I think one thing that Jeff and I really tried to do with our children is to rehearse different scenarios that might happen. Um, if you're on a date and uh, the boy starts kissing you and you're not wanting to kiss, what what's something you could do? How could you handle that situation? I had a, one of our sons um, was on a date and he helped his date out of the car, went around the car to help her out. And he opened the door and she had taken her shirt off. And um, so it, it's just crazy the things that they come across. And so I think trying to give real life scenarios of what might happen, what happens when you see pornography, what, what should you do? Um, and having a, a plan of action um, for different scenarios. I think it's so important to... I, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and there's the youth handbook that they have, which is excellent. It's got such great um, content for how to navigate different um, aspects of being a teenager and a young adult. And so I like to read those with my children. I read them with my students um, and kind of process what what they mean. Um <laughs> Yeah, and for those of you who aren't familiar with it, like the it's called the pamphlet's called the For Strength of Youth. Yeah. And Emily and I use that like in our personal family councils. Like when she and I were we were discussing something a week ago and we were like, okay, we don't really know what to do in this situation. So like let's open up for strength of youth pamphlet, kind of review the guidance on this specific mm-hmm. topic, and then we reviewed that and then ended up changing our minds on something for our family. So it's not just like a teenager thing, it's something that's very useful all the time. So that's true. I think also along with that idea is that to let children know and teenagers know throughout their lives, and because I focus so much on sexuality, I think I'll put a little bit plug in here for that because the way we morally develop by and large is through our bodies and our sexuality. And so helping children understand at an early age that feelings of sexual arousal are good and normal and not to uh, help not let them feel ashamed or afraid of having those types of feelings, but to be prepared that there, these will be feelings that you have and, and your body is going to respond in certain ways. And that's really normal. And in those situations, what might be something you could do um, that you could process with them rather than having them feel like, oh my goodness, I had a thought, I'm such a bad person, right? And and going that place. We all have sexual thoughts. Um, and I think it's important to normalize that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So how do we normalize that with our children? Just let them know that that's, that that's part of the plan, that part of our purpose here on earth is to be able to um, have children in the future. And in order for you to have children, you need to be able to feel sexual feelings. And so this is just all part of the process of growing from a child into an adult and learning to um, navigate all the res- the responses that you're going to be having physiologically to different stimuli that you have. Mm-hmm. I can already feel, I mean, our oldest is five, but I already feel this like need to cocoon him, you know, like we're homeschooling. And part of that for me, at least is like, I don't want him to like have friends that ruin him, or I don't want him to like know about these things or hear swearing from other kindergartners and stuff. And like, so I don't know. I, I definitely feel that, that need or that pull to like cocoon, but I also know that like he does need to be prepared, but I don't, I don't know. There's like this pull of like, how much do I tell him or prepare him for versus like, so as far as you, first, a couple of thoughts I had to what you mm-hmm. said, one, we can't parent in fear. So if yeah. you're choosing to homeschool because you're afraid of what he's going to be exposed to, then I think you need to step back and reassess. 
um, if you're choosing to homeschool because you feel like he's going to get the a better education at home than he would at school, that's a different scenario. But mm-hmm. if you're doing it to be able to have a control over yeah. what he's exposed to and you're afraid of what he might be exposed to, then I think that's something to to con- to kind of think about because mm-hmm. you can't control what him and part of the purpose of life is learning to um, choose for ourselves. And if you are pre-armed with information and pre-armed with a sense of purpose of who you are and um, that you you can do hard things, your child's going to be fine. He's going to be, they're going to be exposed to a lot of crap. That's just the truth of it. But mm-hmm. um, pre-arming them with um with strength and with knowledge, I think is, is, is essential. I like that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Okay. So do you have anything else to add to that? Nope. Okay. Cool. How do you gain your kids trust such that they'll feel comfortable telling you their struggles and temptations going on around them? Okay. This is a great question. I, I think Parents need to understand that your children are going to learn all about marriage. They're going to learn about sexuality. They're going to learn about life by observing you. Um, As parents, the way we model life, the way we model health, the way we model communicating about hard things, the way we model all of the facets of life is what they're going to learn. You are the best predictor to your child's success in the future, your success, you modeling success. And so your child knowing that this is who you are and that they there's a sense of security that they have, that they know this is mom and dad and this is what mom and dad stand for. This is what they believe in, gives them already a sense of security, a safety net of sorts so that they they know this is who you are and that that's going to never change. Mm-hmm. And that gives them a great sense of security. So remember that. Um, I think it's totally okay to be honest with your children about your own questions, your own um, experiences. I can remember telling my children when I was um, probably about, nine or 10 years old, we would walk from our elementary school to go to our little church primary activities um, during the week. And we walked past a drugstore and I, for some reason, started stealing lip gloss every time I went to the drugstore. And I never had stolen anything. I'd never seen anyone steal anything. But I did, and I knew it was wrong, and I felt so scared inside, but I kept doing it. I did it like three weeks in a row, and the owner of the drugstore called my parents um, and let them know about the situation, and I learned such a valuable lesson, having to earn money and go and pay for the lip gloss to the drugstore and talk to the drugstore owner, and I felt so... so much in that experience, but when I let my kids know yeah, I'm so human, just like you. And I, I've done things that, boy, I had to learn from. Um, I think that gives you a lot of credibility, that you are approachable, that you understand what, what, what life is like for them. And, and you still kind of learn from it and rose above. And, and I think being human gives a lot of credibility And one more thing I think is when we, uh, and Gottman, I don't know if you're familiar with John Gottman. He (laughs) is the leading researcher of marriage in the world. And he has talked over and over about the importance of making repairs. So when you have an interaction with your child that doesn't go down the way you want it to, and we all do, I've had way too many of those. And so making a repair after that happens is essential to earning trust. And it's very redeeming. So when, let me just explain a little bit about that. When my children were growing up and if I behaved in a way that was incongruent with who I really want to be, at nighttime, I would go around to each of their bedrooms and I would check in with them. And if I had had an interaction that wasn't that great, I would ask them to give me a grade, A to F, what would you give today? 
And sometimes I earned an F and then I would listen to why I had earned an F. And then I would ask, well, what, what could I have done different that would have made this situation better? And then I would really try to change um, my responses. But what happened in those repairs and why I call it redeeming is that the science actually shows that when we make repairs, it's more effective than if we were to behave perfectly. Doesn't that make it, isn't that interesting that when we Mm -hmm. come back and we show how human we are and we're trying to improve, we're making a repair. We're showing our child a way to mend a relationship. We're showing them how to communicate about hard things. We're showing them how to be humble, all of those things. And it actually helps them more than if you had done it exactly perfect. The first time. That's super interesting. It kind of reminds me of the, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the study, but there was a study that showed that uh, you are more likely to remember a, a, an answer from a test question if you got the answer wrong than if you got it correct. Because it's like something about breaking the narrative uh, like cements a memory or like an impression deeper in our minds. And so like if you had just been going through your regular narrative and had messed up at all... Um, like you wouldn't really be learning as much as yeah, it wouldn't cement as deeply into right. your psyche. That's right. an interesting concept, yeah. And if if you have interactions with your children and you never come back and make repairs, they're not going to trust you. They don't feel safe with you. Um, they don't know that they, you know, if you're responding in a way that isn't that great, and they recognize that the way you responded wasn't that great, and you don't do anything to make a repair, you've lost some of their confidence. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of of what you've said so far um, resonates deeply with with me for a lot of reasons. But one, it's it's very grounded in gospel principles where we believe that it's not just a like you can't just start doing the hard thing or the right thing. Or you can't start how says you can't just start doing the right thing when it gets hard and expect it to work out. Like you need to be doing the hard thing. Um over a long period of time and like building habits, like the gospel is a gospel of habits, not of individual choices. Even it is individual choices, but it's choices that create habits of gospel living is really what we're trying to go for. Um, and so what would you say to the parents who maybe didn't put in as much of the groundwork as they would have liked to early on? Like maybe they just, for whatever reason, were not as engaged um, and not just they don't think that they were engaged, but they weren't actually engaged. Uh, but then they have a a conversion moment where they realize they need to be more engaged as their kids are older. But they've kind of missed out on those more those years where, they, where their children were especially sensitive to those kind of interactions. Yeah, I don't give up. Don't give up. If you recognize that you can, you maybe want to have done things differently in the past, you have opportunities right now to do things better. And so look forward with hope. Um, invest in the, I don't know, you know, if your children are a little older and teenagers, invest in connection, bottom line foundation, invest in the connection with that child. Um, connect on that child's level do activities that that child enjoys, do everything you can to connect with a child. And once that connection feels solid and a lot more secure, you're going to have a lot more opportunities to be influential in that child's life. But go for the connection. And trust is built in small moments. A -hmm. lot of times we think, you know, a lot of times parents think, well, I'll I'll do this really great birthday party. And because I've done this great birthday party, my everyday interactions that haven't been so great will be forgotten. And that's Mm. that's not true. We can do grandiose, wonderful things, but trust is built in the day-to-day living moments. And so at any point in your child's life that you want to earn their trust, start investing in connection now. That's so good. I am learning a lot already (laughs) I don't have teenagers but I'm like already thinking about like okay what am I supposed to be doing right now with my little little kids so that this hopefully maybe will be easier with teens but 
Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so I know this only from my own experience and from watching siblings and friends, but um, as we, well, when we're children, we love to spend time with family and then we become teens and family's not cool anymore. Um, <laughs> so how do we reach our teens when they feel like they don't really want to be a part of yeah. the family anymore? Not anymore, but you know, they're, they're pushing aside. They want to be on their own all the time. Well, two things. First, developmentally, this is normal and it's really what you do want. What they're doing is starting to differentiate from the family and and become adult an adult who's standing on his or her own two feet, right? And mm-hmm. so the process is totally normal for them to not think you're that cool anymore. And, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so, and two, for parents not to take it personally. You can't take that personally. This is developmentally what's supposed to happen. And it, it has nothing to do with who you are or how important you are in their lives. Um, so don't take the the shutting out. Sometimes it feels like you're being shut out. I think um, I have such a great belief in prayer. And um, when I remarried my husband, um, he has eight children. I have four children. And so when I remarried him, there were nine children living in our home. Six were his children and three were my children. And my teenage son, who was 12 years old, he was almost a teenager. When we remarried, we had had the closest relationship. And just, you know, he he was my sidekick for a long time. And um, when I remarried Jeff and I was trying to put a lot of energy into relationships with all of these new stepchildren, my relationship with him totally changed. He didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. And it really did hurt a lot. And I would try to reach him. He would shut me out. He didn't, he'd go to his room after dinner. He wouldn't participate in and, or anything in it. I was very concerned about where he was and, you know, we're in a new school, junior high, what is going on, you know? And I can remember in a prayer one time, just feeling like, that I should go and pray with him every night. And so I did. Every night I would go to his room and I would just talk to him a little bit if he had talked to me about the day, but then I'd always kneel by his bed and pray and express gratitude for his life. And for a long time, for weeks, he had his back rolled toward against me. Um, he was looking away from me and was not engaging probably between four and five weeks, he started being rolled. So his face was towards me. And then I would continue to pray and try to engage. And in time, I get choked up when I remember this, but in time, that little boy was kneeling by my side, praying with me again. And I know that it was the day, day in, day out consistency of trying to connect and show him that I loved him. And, um, that helped him soften up. I love that consistency. I feel like it would have been so easy to be like, well, this isn't working and stop. But like that consistency showed how much you really care. And, you know, that was earning his trust too. like, oh, she's going to keep doing this. Right. Whether I like it or not. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Follow-up question on something you said at the beginning of the answer to this question. You said that it's developmentally appropriate for children to kind of go through that like separation phase of development, I guess. Uh, is there a difference in the way that boys do this versus the way girls do this? Yeah, that's such a great question. I'm just trying to think really on the top of my head if I've read any research about it. Um, I would I would absolutely say I very likely yes. Right. I don't have any stats in my mind to support that. But I do know that the male and the female brain develop completely differently. And so the idea that a young man, a young boy, really by the age of nine, his brain is marinating in testosterone and vasopressin. And that means he's competitive. It means he's uh, attracted to round curvy things he's more a sex drive more and and that's not how it is for young girls and so 
just more of the aggressive and the um, competitiveness that young boys experience would would certainly tell me that that would be different. Right. And that makes sense. Go ahead. I was saying the the narrative in my head, at least the narrative that I operate on would suggest that, yes, there is a difference. I, I, I didn't know if there was any data backing it up. So. I'm sure there is. I just am not aware of it. For me personally, as a mother, the boys at age 13 started to be the most challenging and girls about the age of 16 were more challenging. It was just the slower process for them mm-hmm. yeah. to differentiate and push away. Yeah. I feel like for, for like my own story, I think for my own life, I think 12 to 14 were like my hard years. Cause like you're going through that process like really hard at first. And then after, at least for me, I felt like after I got through those first couple of years, it started to like level off a little bit and I wasn't so angstful or so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mine was 16, 16, 17. Yeah. So look, our, our stories, <laughs> Back up your uh, your theory. Yeah, and and the children I've raised—that's been yeah. the norm for me. Okay. Okay. What can parents do to counteract the constant attacks on youth self-esteem? Um. Well, a lot of thoughts. I I don't like. I think it's good to let children know qualities and characteristics and attributes that we love about them and that we observe in them and focus on the positive things. But more than that, um, more than just verbalizing what you see, I think what really gives um, teenagers confidence is doing hard things, Um, having them, uh, you know, have to earn money towards a basketball camp, have to figure out how they're going to pay for that dress they really want to wear to the prom. You know, I think the more that we let them do hard things and succeed at doing hard things, the more confidence they will have naturally because they already know, hey, I've already done this. I've already done something. Mm -hmm. I can do this. We kind of build on that. And I think it's important to let our kids fail. That's a hard one. We have a lot of a generation of helicopter parents that <laughs> scoop down and, and rescue and give. Um, they actually do have research in the in this generation that uh, the millennials that and Gen Z, that they have been given trophies for participating in sports and that type of thing, though they didn't earn the trophy. And what actually happens is that it makes them feel worse about themselves. And so um, thinking that we've, you know, there's one team that will win. We are all winners and this is a great opportunity to learn and go and participate, but there's one team that will win and the rest of us aren't going to win this time. But hopefully we learned and, and we grew through it and we're not coddling um, our children, but we're letting them do hard things and, and we all fail. You know, 92% of adults have been broken up with someone romantically in their lives. And so getting on board with the idea that we're going to hurt sometimes and life and these emotions are okay. Don't be afraid of feeling sad. Don't be, you know, we're all going to have lots of emotions and, and those are okay as part of the human experience. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that makes me think of um, this paper I read about hierarchies and about how we have a really hard time uh, operating in any system if there's not a clear hierarchy or like understanding like how do I measure myself or measure my my progress or measure my effort and so when we're in a system that has no hierarchy and there's no value placed and when I say hierarchy I'm not referring to like the patriarchy you know top down control of everything but a, a clear distinction of hey these are good values and we ought, we like these values enough so like when you do these good things you'll get rewarded. Um, and when we're operating in a system where everything is equal, we don't know how to orient ourselves. And so that makes total sense that that also applies to to children, that if we don't, like, if, if we don't, if we're always focused on just providing them positive reinforcement, we don't allow for that clear distinction of values. Yeah. Right. And that also got me thinking about, like, something that my dad did with us a lot was that 
like my parents were really great about praising us and like positive talking to us and all that stuff. Um, but my dad would frequently invite us to set goals for ourselves. Like, what are you lacking and what, what do you see in yourself that could be better? What, what are you struggling with? What can we, what kind of goals can we set with you or what kind of goals can you set alone by yourself for your own self-improvement so that I never felt like, Oh, I am so perfect because my parents think everything about me is perfect. (laughs) Like I knew they loved me and I knew they praised me and that was great. But I also knew that they valued personal development. And that meant a lot to me. So. Yeah. Well, along with that, my dad did something that I really liked growing up like after sporting events or debate things or, or big speeches. Uh, we'd have a, like a absorb. What is that in English? Like a, a review. And we'd say, okay, what did I do well? And then what did I do bad? Or what did I do poorly? What, what can I do better in the future? And so he would like, I would get, uh, like I would get criticism like in a positive setting, but mm-hmm. like he would, we'd go through and say, okay, well, you could, you could have done this better. Like this was an area where you were weak on Here's an area you should practice. And I think that for me, it kind of set up very clear understanding that, Hey, he's proud of me, but I can still do better. Yeah. Right. And the, and the sports psychology says it should be three to one that you hmm. got three areas that I really saw that I loved. And there's this one area what and and to as much as possible let the child discern, determine what they did well and what they think they need to improve on. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's I think what you're saying is exactly right. So I can like you that, like three to one. do a quick like for lack of better words, quick role play, like what that would look like if you were engaging in that kind of situation with with a child? Yeah, my sons all played basketball, high school basketball, and after every game we would go through this, like, tell me what were three things about tonight's game that you really feel like you did well. Oh, so you just like straight you up ask, ask them, them, like yeah. give us three things to what, do well. Tell me three things. And then I would say what I, I, I saw that I saw that. Yes, yes. I noticed this and I would tell things that I had noticed. And then what's an area in tonight's game that you think you could have done better. And what can, is there anything I can do to help you in making those developmental change changes so that when you play in your next game next week, that you're going to be able to, to do that a little better. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, that's excellent. Okay. We have one more and then we have more of a large topic. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, okay. So this one is how do I accept my teen for who they are, even when they make choices that we don't agree with? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you, you have to, <laughs> right. <laughs> I can imagine it would be difficult, but I can only imagine how to, right. yeah. your, your, this is your child and your child needs bottom line, love and acceptance. Doesn't mm-hmm. You have to agree with the, the choices they are, but they need to know that you love them bottom line and, um, that their behavior your the the love you show is not determined by their behavior. That's how my generation was raised. That if we did these things, then my parents would praise and show a, affection. And if we did these things, we would be punished and pushed, you know, kind of pushed aside. Mm. And that is not a healthy way to parent. You have to love your child despite the behavior, you know, and they will they will do things that you that hurt. They'll do things that you disagree with, but, and you can talk about how to make corrections and definitely you need to have expectations that need to be met. You know, we're not going to have any violence or we're not going to use this kind of language in our home or whatever. But, um, but bottom line, what you do doesn't determine my love for you. Your worth is invaluable. And often I will take out a hundred dollar bill perfect, crisp hundred dollar bill. And I I'll ask my child that I'm concerned with their behavior. Do you want this hundred dollar bill? And of course they do. Then I spit on it and wad it up and stamp on it. And then, you know, unroll it and say, do you still want this hundred dollar bill? And of course they still do. And I said, well, why? And always the same answer, because it's still worth a hundred dollars. And I will look them in the eye and say, no matter what you do, your value never changes. You're worth everything to me and you're worth everything to God. 
Oh my gosh. I like, I love that so much. I'm That's getting choked up. Lesson. That's amazing. I really like that analogy. So I think a common narrative <laughs> in today's society, especially among our generation is that to love someone means to, to accept in the sense that what they're doing is right for them. Does that make sense? I mean, they're saying like, if you love someone, you can't disagree with them. Yeah. Oh, that's our our entire country is in a problem with this right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, for those that are maybe (laughs) uh, being influenced by that notion, which I believe is false doctrine, right? I mean, it is, it is a a tool of the adversary to, to skew us and, and make us go in the wrong direction and kind of, uh, make us get off the path. Can you explain what it means to love your child who is making bad choices, um, but not accept, so accept them without accepting their behavior? Yeah. I think it, I, what I've tried to do is really be honest when I, there's behavior that I, I am concerned about because I know that ultimately it's not going to make that child happy. Um, and maybe, you know, and we have to remember that the prefrontal cortex never fills in till about age 25, which is where we have all of our real logical, cognitive decision-making processes taking place. And so we have to have compassion and patience that we've got these young people making decisions without all of their reasoning capacities, um, I, I go back always to the the strength of youth handbook. There's just great principles outlined in there for everyone. And the, you might choose to do something that is not in aligned here. I want you to know I still love you and God still loves you, but what you're choosing isn't going to bring you happiness. And, um, and but it is ultimately, it is your choice. And to let go of that control is really hard. So when you um, have dealt with a, a child who's been struggling with whatever type of decisions, but decisions that you believe are going to, or you know are going to not lead them to, you know, to happiness, is this a conversation you have like a one and done thing, or is this an ongoing conversation? Um, what does that look like? Always, always ongoing. I, I really believe being at the crossroads is essential for teenagers. I was up for all of my teenagers when they got home from dates or from being with their friends or parties or whatever, or work, be there and just listen. And I always tell people, parents, listen 10 times more than you talk. Because usually as you listen to them just babbling and rambling on, most of the time, if they've really been taught consistently through their lives, they hear what they're saying and recognize Oh my, that doesn't, that's not right, is it? You know, as you just let them talk, let them talk. A lot of times they'll they'll come to an awareness themselves that maybe what they're doing or what they chose to do or say or whatever wasn't wasn't the best choice. And there's remorse. Um, and then we just move forward. I don't I it's not easy. I will tell you it is not easy. And Um, there is nothing personally in my life that all the things I've experienced in my life, nothing is more refining than being a parent. And um, I just have to believe that if I do the best I can and, um, and as parents do the best they can and consistently show up for their kids, that there, that's all you can do and it will be okay. It's funny because I was talking to my mom a while ago. I don't remember when, but um, she was saying that having babies was hard and then having toddlers was hard and then having teenagers was hard. And she didn't realize until like having like teenagers and adult children, like that's the hardest. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> I already feel like I'm drowning. <laughs> well, it, it's a different kind of hard. I, I, I getting up with babies that are colicky at night are that's really hard. Um, watching your teenager make choices that you know aren't going to bring a lot of joy and mm-hmm. will maybe have consequences that they regret. 
that's really hard too. But that's what we're here for. We're here to be refined. We're here to become like our heavenly parents. And so we're buckle up and just enjoy their journey. And I have to say, I really love my teenagers. I love my boys when they reached about age 15. Oh my goodness. They were hysterical. I love <laughs> They were so much fun, right? Mm-hmm. My daughter's were great until about age 16. And then I started liking them again about age 18. (laughs) (laughs) So you have these little seasons that you think, oh God, this is awful. And then you have these other seasons that you think this is the best. And so wait till next season will happen. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, Yeah. Okay. So um, for our listeners, we do, we pray before every episode and in Andrew's prayer before this episode, he said, something along the lines of like, help us talk positively about teens. And now I'm just remembering that. And I'm like, yeah, because like, they really are great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would hate for this conversation to just like spiral into how hard it is. So I feel bad that I am kind of scared to have teenagers, but <laughs> I just, I, I do want to maybe shift into some. Try to like such like positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, honestly, um, that there's nothing that's been more refining. Mm-hmm. But in all sincerity, nothing, no degree, no, no careers, no money, nothing compares to the joy I feel when I see my children grow and make choices that are bringing them happiness. It's mm-hmm. just the best payday ever. And oh, good. <laughs> so, yeah. And, okay. and when they get like my oldest son is 36 now and it was just a few Weeks ago, he has two little children now, and um, he he said, "Mom, I didn't know you loved me this much." And um, it was Aww. so sweet. And I said, "Yeah, you just wait, wait till they're thirty six, and then you'll discover how much I love you now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that, I don't know how it works. But the love you have for your children just grows and grows and grows, and and is wonderful. It's truly wonderful. That's great. Okay. So you are a sex therapist. And so we do have one final question. It's kind of like vague and loaded. I don't know. So you would just answer however you would answer. (laughs) Um, But talking to kids about sex, when do we start? How do we start? (laughs) It's not a one and done thing. I know that. But what do you have to offer about? Yeah. Something a good chance to give us your big guiding principles. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, this 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 is a topic for like five podcasts. Exactly. Right. So right. I have a series on my Instagram account called Ready Set Teach. Okay. Then they're my in, on Instagram live um, in IGTV channel, and I've broken up different age groups and gone through and taught principles for each of them. So wow. Okay. For your listeners, if you want to have some good information on how to talk to toddlers, how to talk to preschool or uh, school age children, teenagers, mm-hmm. so go and listen to those because I, I'm okay. there teaching and I have invited guest experts on to talk about the different stages and developmentally what needs to be um, discussed um, and taught. So bottom line, teaching about sexuality, I believe begins at birth. And I'll tell you why. Most parents are not comfortable talking about sex and they need to become comfortable talking about sex. More than any generation in the history of this world, you need to be comfortable talking about sex because your kids are going to be faced with more than you were faced with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I encourage my, my clients, my students, my children to hold those little babies in your arms. And as you're rocking them and talking to them, they're getting nurtured. They don't understand what you're saying. But as you start describing sexuality and you will menstruate and what that means, or you will have an erection and ejaculation and what does that mean? And you start talking about all these parts about sexuality. What's happening is you're hearing yourself talk about sex. Mm 
and you are getting, you can totally say, oh, I don't like the way that sounded and go back and do it another way until it sounds the way you want it to sound. And, um, but just start talking and the more comfortable you are talking with you, with yourself, as you rock these little babies, the more comfortable you will be when they come with questions. That's an amazing idea. Yeah. That's awesome. You want to be your child's resource. Mm-hmm. You want them to come to you for sexual re- information. You want to teach them honestly with accurate information and age appropriate information. And so in order for you to do that, you must get comfortable with the idea of talking about sex, correct terminology of body parts, sexual functioning, um, all of it. You need to be comfortable talking about it. So I say it begins at birth. That's amazing. I've never thought about that and I love it. So cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We, I feel like we've been very forthright with our, with our kids so far. I don't know if I was doing that. That's an amazing like the idea. Principal, yeah. yeah. And we, we can, I mean, it's not too late. So we're yeah. still having we'll, babies. We'll have, we'll have new babies. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's never too late. And if you yeah. haven't had conversations, um, This is a question I get all the time from parents with teenagers that they've never talked about sex with their children. And now they're teenagers and they want to talk about sex. Before you can start really having good conversations about sex, you need to have connection. Go Mm -hmm. always back to that first founding principle. Work for connection. Work for friendship. Connect, connect, connect. And as you do that, your child's going to have an open heart and willing to learn and listen. That's perfect. I love it. So last question for me. Do you have any more okay. questions? No, nope, I'm good. Okay. Go ahead. So in all that you've learned through your professional experience, academic experience, and personal firsthand parenting experience, um, how have you seen the hand of the Lord at work in, in I, I, so I want to say in parenting, but I feel like that's too vague. <laughs> Um, but I'll just, I'll leave it there so you can maybe share something that's, that's on your heart. Like all the time, all the time. Um, so many miraculous experiences that I've had in, you know, I really try to pray every morning, every evening, try to have a prayer in my heart all day long. When I taught public school long ago, every time there was a bell between classes, I would say a little prayer in my heart for my children. I just, I'm always trying to be prayerful and in, and in tune to revelation that they need. And I will just tell you one really, really amazing experience. I had a son in high school who was dating. He was a junior. He was dating a girl that was a senior. Um, she had a lot of freedom. She had her own car. And we were, I was concerned how close they were getting and how much time they were spending together and um, was constantly praying about it and trying to be there to interact with my son one night. And this will give you a real testimony that I know those people who have passed on in our lives and are on the other side of the veil are very much aware of what's happening in our lives here. I'd gone to bed It was a Sunday night, like at two o'clock on Monday morning. I felt my late husband's hand on my head, just a physical hand on my head. I heard him say, find him. So I got out of bed. I looked right. He was not in his room. I looked through the house. He was nowhere in the house. I went outside and he was in his girlfriend's car and it was very steamed up. So you knew they were having a real lot of fun in the car. And I knocked on the window and um, they came out. We went downstairs and had a conversation. I was not angry. I was calm. I, I just said, what are your plans and goals for life? What are things that you're hoping are going to happen? And what are you doing right now? And is it going to help you get those achieve those goals? And they both said no. And then after we got done talking and I encouraged them to set some goals for themselves, I asked them if they wanted to know how I knew that I needed to find him. And I told them the experience and all three of us were in tears and it was a really sweet experience. I know that as we pray constantly and strive to live, to be in tune to guidance, we can be guided day in and day out in blessing our children. Wow. That's amazing. 
Well, I'm glad I asked a very vague and poorly worded question because that brought about a very uh, powerful story. Powerful, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Tammy, for everything you've shared. I learned a lot. There's a lot of good nuggets in here. Yeah. So. Anything else you would like to leave our listeners? Just, you know, this is just part of the journey. Don't give up. Your child needs you to show up every day. So keep getting up and keep showing up. Okay. Awesome. I will. (laughs) (laughs) We we talked a little bit throughout, uh, but can you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your information, all the great stuff you're putting out? You bet. So I'm on Instagram, Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y underscore Hill, H-I-L-L underscore L-M-F-T. That stands for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. I have a website and blog, TammyHill.com. I have a new book I just published this this year. I don't have it right here, but it's um, for helping parents teach about gender for young children and um, bodies. It's called God Made Girls and Boys. I'm working on a second book right now for older, a little bit older children, pre-adolescent, called um, Your Body and the Plan of Happiness. Um, you can look for those. I do the Live Your Wife podcast on Apple and Spotify. I'm at BYU for two more years before I retire, and um, and I'm happy to help however I can. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen her on Instagram or seen her other things, um, I am super wary, just like to be forthright, I'm super wary of like any, uh, or I say any, a lot of members of the church who are, who use their academic or professional stance to like create platforms and then they kind of like tear down faith or say things that are very questionable uh hers is not like that at all right 100 endorse i love the stuff that she puts out so just wanted to say that just in case you're hearing this and you're like me and you kind of like question anytime you um you hear about uh, those kind of platforms awesome super faith promoting and tons of good yeah. information i love that So thank you, Tammy, for all the good that you do. Thank you for all the good you guys are doing. Keep it up. And good luck with your children. You don't need to be afraid. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. All right, guys, we love you so much. Keep the faith.